When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm so glad to have you with me. So my guest, Catherine Martin, or CM as she likes to be called, is a four-time Oscar winner for costume and production design on Moulin Rouge, and two Oscars for The Great Gatsby. She is a style legend. For three decades now, she's collaborated with her husband and fellow Aussie, Baz Luhrmann, on his films known for their singular filmmaking, flamboyant looks, and highly choreographed style. Now they've taken on the pop culture icon of a generation, Elvis Presley, in their massive Elvis biopic, starring a revelatory Austin Butler as the king himself and Tom Hanks as Colonel Parker. There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this here story. Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come knocking at your door? There's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Mr. Elvis Presley. In our conversation, I talked to Catherine Martin, who's both costume and production designer on the film, about the fascinating work that went into putting this together about Elvis' singular style that oozed sexuality and personality. The enormous work that went into just getting those pleated pants right. You know, the ones he wore when his hips and pelvis shocked the world. We talked about the capes, the jumpsuits, and the Napoleon collars, as well as CM and Baz's 30-year life and collaboration together. Is their personal style at home as dazzling as their films together? I started by asking Catherine Martin what she had learned about Elvis' personal style that she didn't know before beginning this process. Look, I didn't know how profoundly connected he was to black music because I didn't understand where he grew up and his interactions with in the segregated South with black society. And he was the poorest of the poor and moved into, it was, there were two or three white houses that were um, right on the edge of an affluent black community. So it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition where you have affluent, educated black people and Elvis being poor and he having great reverence for black music, for black culture for the way black people dressed, for the performers of the era, for Beale Street. And this just 
completely naturally his own discovery and that he also throughout his entire life look he was no saint and he probably could have spoken up more and done more but I think that he's a real product of his environment and I I, I didn't realize that and I think that his style really came from a great love and observation of the incredibly stylish, dapper, dandy black performers that he admired and grew up with. Tom Hanks, as the colonel, he says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, that a perfect carnival act has incredible costumes and promises to give you feelings that you did not know you could experience. And that sounds like something Baz and CM would do for a living, right? <laughs> um, so I just wanted to know why Elvis, this carnival act, so to speak, was something that you and Baz felt compelled to explore. So Baz has been interested in Elvis ever since, like I've known him for over 30 years and he has always been fascinated. It's a subject he was always interested in. I think the contrast between his iconic cultural presence and who he was as a man and the fact that he existed, you know, in a time of the segregated South, how black music intersected with his performance and his music. Also just the general social change that was happening in America at the time, I think fascinated him. I knew who he was and thought he was interesting but it wasn't something I was particularly fascinated by and through the process of Baz working on the movie and working with him on it I became to appreciate just how extraordinary Elvis's life and ascension to stardom was that it was just no one had lived that existence before it was an unknown experience to be catapulted from total obscurity and relative poverty into complete stardom, not being able to walk down the road and having millions of dollars in your pocket in such a short space of time, really due to his exposure on television. And that was really masterminded by Colonel Tom Parker. Once you get into the story, it's absolutely fascinating. Just also like a great life adventure to explore not only the history of the period but also delve in to who Elvis really was who was he as a man rather than an icon we know that he was very shy but at the same time so eye-popping in terms of his style with that pink suit what surprised you about his sense of personal style well I think the really interesting thing is it's not like he comes from a a family of incredibly stylish people. Gladys and Vernon weren't particularly stylish and the milieu was not particularly style orientated. So he's kind of a self-created phenomenon, which is super interesting. And it really came through observation and absorbing what he saw around him and then recombining those elements into a style that was very much his own. And it's interesting because he was super shy and always got stage fright, but he seemed or he was so confident in his clothing choices and kind of flew in the face of convention constantly and 
kind from of the beginning. From the beginning, whether it was wearing mascara or dyeing his hair from blonde to black or wearing pink and black or wearing lace shirts, he just wanted to create a persona on and off the stage that matched his musical ambitions. And I think that it was because he was so shy, it was a way of creating a character that could bear the burden of his ambition and desire for fame yeah i understand now from your movie where the capes came from with the comic books and the you know hiding behind that kind of character but before we get to that i mean elvis the pelvis wouldn't have existed without those pleated pants right correct and that was one of the really difficult technical things to explore i don't know how many pairs of pants we made in how many different weights of fabric just to get the movement and connect the sexuality, the sensuality, the camera, Elvis's movement, Austin's body language. It took a while to just find exactly the right fullness of pant so that you got the vibe without it being too pornographic, <laughs> just to find that right balance. That's fascinating that that's like one of the most difficult because uh, then you get to the Vegas years where, you know, everything is just so over the top. Where did this style come from? Was this his own as well? What was he seeing here? So he started working with a designer called Bill Ballou, who was the NBC resident costume designer. And Bill Ballou um, worked with Elvis on his costumes for the 68 special and one of the things they developed together was what came to be known as the Napoleon collar. Mm -hmm. And when he was about to do his residency in Las Vegas, he asked Bill to work on his stage costumes. Bill Ballou really was the person that along with Elvis kind of uh, cemented this jumpsuit style. He did design jumpsuits for other people the Osmonds, and I think even for the Jackson 5. So he A was, lot of jumpsuits in that era. <laughs> yeah, he loved a jumpsuit. And how many costumes would you say that you made, you and your team? Oh, we made, I would say, thousands. We made costumes for all the principal cast. We made a lot of costumes for the background cast. In total, there were over 9,000 separate costumes for the background cast alone. Elvis had over 90 changes of which jumpsuits were somewhere between, I think that was around 20 jumpsuits that he wore. So strangely enough, jumpsuits were in the mon minority, even mm -hmm. though they seem such big stars of the show. I read that throughout your career, you've concerned yourself a lot with buttons. That, oh, is that true? I Yes, it's absolutely true. I'm really focused on buttons because 30%, and this is something Baz taught me, 30% of all movies are close-ups. So basically you're seeing this much of a person and particularly with men, they tend to wear shirts in every shot. And so the subtlety of the button, what it looks like, what it means, is an enormous statement on a giant screen. You know, the button's enormous. And I think buttons add so much. They add texture and they add a time and a place. They can just make things look a lot better. 
and they can make things look really bad too. <laughs> Any particular buttons in this production? Well, the Colonel has a lot of bad buttons, but he's meant to. <laughs> You've also said that throughout your career, MGM, The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, the sort of Hollywood golden age. The... You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together... We're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Big movies um, really are, are, were an inspiration for you from the beginning, you and Baz. How do you, does this reflect in the Elvis production design? Well, I think that there is an attempt to have a completeness in the world in much the same way as those movies. What I mean by completeness is that Baz likes there to be logic to the world and that it needs to follow certain rules so you can immerse yourself in it. You're not stumbling into not exactly plot holes, but holes of logic where you don't really understand where things come from or where you're going to. That completeness, that attention to detail is something Baz really focuses on. And constantly layering in all the environments and in the costumes not secret messages but things that help move the story forward however subtle they are in order to help situate the audience in time and place or help underline a plot point and a lot of the time people don't I think register absolutely what's going on but because you're in you know, you're immersed in the performance of the actors and so you should be. But they're there as a kind of resonance that allows you to be more immersed in the story. Just things like when Colonel Tom Parker, when Tom's doing the merchandising scene where he's showing Elvis for the first time all the things he's going to make that celebrate him and that he can sell to the fans. And this is an outfit Colonel Tom Parker actually wore in real life. I think it was probably a mistake. But um, <laughs> in the 50s, there were these ringer T-shirts with a printed Elvis, kind of it looks like a very retro design, and a, um, a bucket hat with Elvis printed on it as well. And he would shamelessly wear this sort of branded material right in front of Elvis. And let us say on a man with a fuller figure like his, a skin tight t-shirt possibly isn't the most attractive choice. He wears it in this scene. And even though you're not conscious of it, you're aware that he's basically willing, including look pretty terrible to sell Elvis to the world. I know that Priscilla really, really loved the movie. Did she open any doors for you or show you anything in terms of design and clothing that well, you didn't know about? Not personally, but certainly the archives at Graceland and Angie, who's the head archivist at Graceland, was incredibly generous in allowing us access, sort of unprecedented access to the house and to objects and items that they had. I was particularly touched 
they've kept a lot of Gladys Presley's dresses and they're in these long archival cardboard boxes and the dresses are lovingly laid out with acid-free tissue paper. And I remember opening the box and just having this sense of sadness wash over me. You know, this sort of feeling that her life was not what she wanted it to be. There was a longing there, you know, and the dresses were kind of worn. There was a feeling of, yes, yeah, sadness. And they were so plain and slightly threadbare. And there was such a sense of longing, I suppose, in those boxes. And it really made me remember that Elvis and Vernon and Priscilla and Gladys were all real people. And I think that it was very moving and it reinforced my desire to be respectful. Yeah, I, I suppose compassionate. It really awoke in me this sense that these people were human beings and they had a human story. And I really connected to that part of the movie making. And I know it was a real focus for Baz, the humanity, that they weren't just kind of iconic Halloween creatures. So you have a 30-year collaboration. Could you describe a little bit your process when you begin something as huge as this together? Baz often writes a treatment, which is just basically the story he wants to tell. It's an outline of what the script will be. And with that treatment, there'll probably be some research tasks that are set for us because he'll have things he's interested in. We also start building a visual book where we start telling the story in found images. And this is a tool that we use to start formulating what the visual language will be of the movie. Also, we show it to actors and we show it to the studio. And as the script develops and as the design develops under Baz's direction, we'll be swapping out there'll be more and more concept illustrations that are very specific to the movie. And this book just evolves. Um, Often, well, on this movie, we certainly did, we'll have a, a table read at the beginning of the process of rehearsing and preparation with the actors. And um, most, in fact, all of our actors already knew all of the history really and were so well read mm-hmm. and so well researched but it gives them a little glimpse into the you, worlds you that they'll be acting in. Um, so I know the first time you met Baz or I suppose it's the first time he, he was interviewing you to work on Strictly Ballroom and um, you were late for that interview because you made a dress to meet him. What did that dress look like? It was actually a pantsuit It was was almost a jumpsuit. It was like high-waisted black linen pants and a cropped kind of Chanel-inspired green and black linen jacket. And I'd been sewing the buttons on and I was running late. And I got there 10 minutes late and I was buzzing on the buzzer and no one was answering the door. And I thought, oh, I've missed the interview. But luckily he was even later than I was. And what was he wearing? He was wearing his swimsuit (laughs) and a towel. And he and Craig, his longtime writing collaborator, had been for a swim and they were just running late. 
it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> Both of you made an impression. And and are your parties and, and uh, your home, is it as glorious as Elvis and Moulin Rouge? And we you have around yourself with beautiful things. We have a really beautiful home in New York, which I spent a lot of time decorating. And I'm saying it myself. I think it's very, I love it. I always try whenever I work on a personal interior to really respect the architecture of the home and take, understand the period in which the house was built and without being like wedded to the past and trying to do some kind of historical reconstruction to, to kind of find that vibe and so that things feel natural within the house. And so that's a beautiful house. And then the other place we're living is literally a beach shack on the <laughs> beach in Australia that has a lot more Swedish furniture in it. And I think you know what I'm referring yes. to. And in New York, Please. but it's equally fabulous. You know, it's kind of falling apart. It's not very stylish, but it is has the best style right out the window, a beautiful view of the ocean. Oh, wonderful. So I've been talking to others about sort of what Elvis means today in terms of music, in terms of being an icon, in terms of what America means. But style-wise, what does he mean to, to popular culture? Look, I think he was one of, if not the first performer, to really consistently reinvent himself. So whether it was, and, and it was musically and visually kind of simultaneously, so he had his sort of punk, sexually charged 50s period where he looked a particular way and performed a particular way. He goes off to the army and then he comes back and he's in the movies and it's this much more polished, tailored, mature, clean cut kind of look. And then that goes with these much more structured, very, you know, 60s songs that much less rebellious than his 50s period. And then he reinvents himself at the end of the 60s when his film career is on the rocks using the 68 special. And that becomes, you know, that's when along with the designer at the time, Bill Ballou, and he and Elvis developed the Napoleon collar that became a kind of a an Elvis staple for the rest of his career so I think what's really fascinating about him was he was able to without a stylist completely of his own it came from the center of his being he was able to create these incredible looks that have had a lasting impression and have become you know if you see a white jumpsuit just about everyone on the planet will say Elvis mm -hmm. and I think that's extraordinary. The Bowies and the Madonnas and the, and the artists who later reinvent themselves all the time with that that's something that Elvis always was doing from the beginning. Yeah and I, I look I don't know whether they took that from Elvis or whether that just became an, an acceptable norm in creating a stage persona and creating a career. And so, you know, he was the, the plough that allowed the furrow for those people, you know, to 
to have that way of creating their performances. But yeah, to me, that's incredible. And, and just the fact that the style and the music, he was able to find synergy with those two things. And I think it's the proof that it's the person inside the clothes that makes them live. It's the emotion in the music. It's his commitment to music, his love of music, his emotion, his phrasing. You know, he's able to somehow communicate the depths of his soul and all the while wearing a white flared jumpsuit. Catherine, they want me to wrap up. Thank you so much. Again, no, very honoured to talk so to you. Much. This was great. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much to Catherine Martin. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.